Welcome to the Get Fit with Jodell podcast. I am, as usual, Jodell. And could yeast or candida be an issue for you and the reason for your gut issues, perhaps your chronic fatigue, even your low thyroid? What about weight gain? What about cravings? Most of my listeners are well-educated people. You guys have heard about or even dealt with candida since it's become more widespread um, in the last couple of decades than ever before. In fact, candidemia is one of the most common bloodstream infections in the United States, according to the CDC. So I wanted to talk to somebody who really knows their stuff when it comes to candida. And for that, I'm turning to Dr. Michael Biamonte. Um, this is the guy, in my opinion, when it comes to putting an end to yeast and fungus and candida once and for all. Well, this guy holds a doctorate of naturopathy and is a New York State certified clinical nutritionist, as well as a New York City's very own thyroid doctor, which I'm excited that we're going to talk a lot about the thyroid. That's right. This guy knows the thyroid and its relationship with candida, and that's something more people should be aware of and talking about. So he's also a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists, the American College of Nutrition, and is a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutritional uh, Certification Board. He's listed in the Directory of Distinguished Americans, which I think is very cool, uh, for his research in nutrition and physiology. He's worked with NASA and is the creator of BioCybernetics, which we'll be talking about, a cutting-edge, unprecedented computer software program that is able to study blood work mineral tests and other lab tests to uh, determine exactly where the body is imbalanced. So today we're dis discussing the thyroid specifically and how yeast, fungus, candida greatly affect it, as well as gut issues, weight gain, and also how to get rid of candida once and for all. This is your guy. And the answers may surprise you since Dr. Biamonte has cracked the code on how to end the battle of gut and thyroid distress. So I'm ready to dive in if you are, Dr. B. I want to jump right into the nitty gritty. Yeah, well, so let's do that. So first off, yeah. it's sickening. The, the average de medical doctor's knowledge of thyroid is embarrassing to mm. me. It's embarrassing. I would agree. Medi medical doctors know... Um, I would say not even the complete story from a blood work viewpoint. Um, most medical doctors know actually very little about thyroid. Mm -hmm. They maybe have 20% understanding of what, what is actually there, which is scary. Yeah, right. And what's even scarier to me, which, what I've, which I've observed firsthand, is the more... Um, bravado they have regarding thyroid, very often the less they know. Uh, I get patients who will come to me and they say, well, I'm seeing this doctor, he's on Park Avenue and he's a thyroid specialist and I start to cringe <laughs> because I'm, I'm already anticipating the ignorance that we're going to find here. So to lay, lay this out a bit for you, the first thing that you need to know about thyroid is that blood work doesn't tell you the whole story. Blood work only tells you a partial story. The most important test, and Dr. Weston Childs, who you will find on the internet, who's uh, a definite thyroid expert, in my opinion, I look up to him. Dr. Childs and I recently had a discussion about body temperature and thyroid. And I will insist that you can you can learn more about someone's thyroid activity by having their, their body temperature monitored, which goes back to a book written by Dr. Broda Barnes, I think in the 70s, mm -hmm. which was entitled Hypothyroidism, the Unsuspected Illness. Mm -hmm. 
And what Dr. Barnes claimed was that blood work didn't give you the whole picture and, and body temperature was more accurate. And this we found to be very true. Because when your body temperature is low, it's telling you that the end result of your thyroid metabolism, I'm not saying thyroid gland, thyroid hormone, but thyroid metabolism is too low because the purpose of thyroid hormone is to create heat and energy. Mm-hmm. And it's to, it's to have your body temperature between a certain point because your body has to have a certain temperature in order for various enzyme systems in the body to actually do their job. Mm-hmm. So we find that people who have a body temperature that's consistently below 97.8 are functionally hypothyroid. And they, to me, to me, that is just as important as someone who shows me their TSH is high and their T4 is low. Yeah, It's just as important. And very often more important because very often you'll find people who have borderline TSHs and borderline T, T4 levels be declared normal by the doctor, even though that's really not true functionally. You see, because from from a functional standpoint, the body temperature is low and these people are constantly complaining of low thyroid symptoms, even though their tests are normal or barely normal. This is another thing that we commonly hear from people. So when a patient comes to me and they are um, presenting thyroid problems, one of the first things we look for is candida because people with lower body temperatures are more susceptible to candida. It's not only lactobacillus and friendly bacteria that resist candida, but it's also your body temperature. Mm-hmm. One way to look at this is why do you get a infection? Your body produces fever when you have an infection to kill the infection. Mm-hmm. It's raising the temperature to try to kill the infection. So there, there's a similar there's a similarity in that kind of thinking when you're dealing with candida. Unfortunately, candida is highly autoimmune and candida particularly likes to attack the thyroid gland. And there are, I have no many doctors who will insist that all Hashimoto's is from candida or leaky gut. And I, I couldn't totally disagree with them because of the experience and what I've seen. Mm-hmm. So when we're dealing with a thyroid, a thyroid case, first thing we want to do is rule out if there is candida or some kind of dysbiosis or some kind of leaky gut situation. So if we're lucky enough to find that's not the case, then we have a blood test that we do. It's a blood test that um, Dr. Childs actually put together, which looks at certain key things that the average blood test doesn't. One thing it looks at is your leptin levels, because mm-hmm. leptin leptin is um, synergistic with, th- with thyroid hormones. We look at fasting insulin, because elevated insulin will suppress your thyroid function. We look at cortisol levels and estrogen levels because elevated cortisol and estrogen will also suppress your thyroid function. Now, what I mean by this is it's not necessarily that they're going to stop your thyroid from producing the hormone. What they're going to do is block the ability of the hormones to work when they hit their receptor sites. The key receptor sites for thyroid hormones are in the liver and the kidneys. And when your hormones are elevated, like estrogen and cortisol, it blocks the sensitivity of those receptors. Um, we also look at reverse T3, which is really seriously important. Mm -hmm. People under stress, people with high cortisol, people with candida usually start racking up high levels of reverse T3 and their own T3 levels will drop or their ability to use T3 will drop. Now, on the other hand, progesterone, DHEA and testosterone 
are hormones which are synergistic with thyroid hormones. They actually help increase cellular sensitivity to your thyroid hormone. Mm -hmm. So when we're looking at this, you can't go by what a blood test says that the average doctor takes because they're not looking at any of these other factors here. Now, we can take this a couple of steps further. They're not looking at your body temperatures. And then very important, they're not looking at your mineral ratios in your cells. This is a whole other story. Now, in your cells, you have all you have macro minerals, which are calcium, magnesium, sodium, potassium, and you have all the trace minerals, zinc, copper, manganese, iron, et cetera. These minerals play an important part in the cellular receptors for thyroid in your body. In Guyton's physiology book, Guyton wrote many years ago that in some way we don't really fully understand right now, calcium and potassium act as a governor and a blocker to or resistor to thyroid hormone. Mm -hmm. So what Guyton was saying is that someone who has a high calcium to potassium ratio in their cells, their body loses the ability to uptake thyroid hormone and upregulate it to make it actually work. Mm -hmm. Later on, we found out that zinc and copper were parallel in this. So somebody who has a high calcium, high copper level versus zinc and potassium in their tissues doesn't utilize thyroid hormone. Their thyroid receptors are kind of dead mm -hmm. and they don't upregulate the thyroid hormone and, and metabolize it. So none of this is going back to my original statement. None, doctors don't know any of this. You so when you go, to, you go to your MD and you say, well, you know, you got me on um, T4 and I'm taking all these, the hormones and I still feel, I just don't feel, I still feel like something's wrong. He yeah. looks at you and says, well, I'm going to write you a script for Prozac because he doesn't know where else to look. He doesn't have the knowledge. Mm -hmm. And psychiatric drugs are just going to make your thyroid worse. The lithium, for instance, as a drug is just devastating to the thyroid. If anyone has low thyroid and they're taking lithium, they have their answer right there. Mm -hmm. Mercury and toxic metals, aside from copper down-regulating your thyroid, mercury, for some strange reason, stores in the thyroid gland. Mm -hmm. When you get people to people with high mercury and they start to really detox, sometimes they break out with rashes all over their neck and in the whole of thyroid area mm -hmm. because mercury has some weird affinity for the thyroid and it will store there. And when you're... Uh, um, thyroid becomes toxic with mercury, your thyroid hormone production now will die. It will go down. Forget the receptor sites. Mm -hmm. In itself will go down. Mm. So that's uh, this is uh, these are the things people need to be aware of. And these are the things that unfortunately the average doctor doesn't study. And that's why people, so many people have thyroid problems and don't know what to do about it. It's because their doctors don't know what to do about it. And it becomes this, what you see is this vicious cycle of like, they kind of deal with it a little bit. Maybe they take some antifungals and then it comes back and then they deal with it and then it comes back. And it's like this ongoing circus in the body that never really gets fully addressed. And that's that's where you come in because you've actually, like I said, cracked the code on yes. this. I wanna, I wanna go back to what you said about candida really attacks the thyroid you don't hear that like you'll hear you know things that attack it like maybe are the immune system with an autoimmune issue but tell me about the relationship of this candida this yeast this fungus this this overgrowth and how it touches the thyroid unfortunately candida produces um a, a list of different toxins okay. they're my, mycotoxins they're um, neurological toxins they're different alcohol toxins 
which all have a devastating effect on thyroid function in particular mm -hmm. and liver function. And since in, in Oriental medicine, when you study thyroid, you study liver virtually yeah. at the same time. And or in Eastern medicine, thyroid and liver go together. Mm -hmm. And anything that downregulates your liver will downregulate your thyroid. And that's the unfortunate thing that happens with candida, if you're looking at it from an Eastern standpoint. Mm -hmm. From a Western standpoint, we know that candida in many cases actually can infect the thyroid gland directly. Okay. Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty bad. That's not what most people are exposed to. Mm -hmm. Most people are exposed to the fact that candida itself just downregulates the thyroid, mm -hmm. or 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 stimulates um, Hashimoto's by yeah. stimulating an autoimmune reaction in the gut. It, whether it's leaky, actual leaky gut that you can define what a zonulin test or the leaky gut breath test is another story. It doesn't have to actually be full blown leaky gut, but it, it just will downregulate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so candida is not just, you know, typical people hear, oh, it's a yeast infection in the vagina or it's thrush of the mouth. But candida can really be anywhere. Right. Well, the Merck manual said, I don't know if the Merck manual still has this exact wording, but at one point um, the Merck manual said that anyone who's treating vaginal yeast without also treating yeast infection in the intestinal tract was basically wasting their time because they come together and the the intestinal yeast is how I describe it to patients. You're, the yeast nests in your colon and your intestine. That is the nesting place for yeast. Mm -hmm. It can, it, but it can also invade any mucous membrane. So it can invade your vaginal area and cause the the standard vaginal yeast infection. Mm -hmm. It can invade your mouth and then cause thrush. Mm -hmm. It can it can grow on a woman's nipples when she's uh, pregnant or after giving birth because of the estrogen. Mm. This estrogen makes candida grow, unfortunately. So it is very misunderstood. By the time someone has thrush, their immune system is usually pretty compromised. Mm. And medical doctors aren't totally wrong in their thinking because sometimes they'll say to a woman with chronic yeast infections, have you had an HIV test? Because there is a correlation between someone with chronic yeast and a depressed immune system. Mm -hmm. It's just not as extreme as they, they make it out to be. Um, if everyone, if every every woman who ever had a yeast infection was HIV, the statistics on all this would be totally different than what they really are. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a minority of the people who have HIV relative to those who get vaginal yeast infections. Far more people get vaginal yeast infections that have that are HIV positive or have AIDS. So, but, but the thinking is not totally off because if for someone to have thrush or someone to have chronic vaginal yeast, something is really wrong. It's not normal. In the case of the person with chronic vaginal yeast, they have dysbiosis. Yeah. Dysbiosis means that you have an imbalance between the sum total of all the friendly bacteria that lives in your, in your gut and the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And very often the candida comprises most of the bad guys, although candida is very synergistic with harmful bacteria and protozoa. So if you could walk through your intestinal tract with a flashlight, <laughs> you would see your intestinal lining. And then after a while, you would come up to this weird looking clump and you would see this glob of kind of mucus, which is called biofilm. Mm -hmm. And biofilm is just literally that it's a mucus that um, certain bacteria, mycobacteria, they're called, make in order to protect themselves 
from your white blood cells and your immune response. Candida is very synergistic with those bacteria. And you'll very often find if you were to take a crowbar and start hacking the thing apart, you would find underneath the biofilm, you'd find mycobacteria and you would find candida. And you would usually find different parasites all living there. They're all synergistic and symbiotic. Then you take you walk further and you'll see another area that's clear. But then again, you're going to come into this other patch of this stuff. So bacteria in the intestinal tract grows in a uniform manner, like like you see moss growing up a building. Mm-hmm. Candida and these bad organisms don't do that. They grow in this blotty, spotty, patchy kind of formation. And that what's that's what makes them very hard to detect when you do a stool sample, because there's no guarantee that the stool that you're giving to the lab at that point was in contact with any of these areas where this stuff was growing. Mm-hmm. So typically, by the, and even if you do, very often by the time your stool sample reaches the lab, the, the stuff has died, so they can't culture it. And your digestive enzymes naturally occurring in your gut have already started to digest it. Mm-hmm. That's what the downside is of doing a stool test to try to determine the levels of these organisms. Um, essentially, when you do any stool test, any of the modern like CDSA type tests, even the ones that are using the DNA technology, the interpretation of the test goes, if you don't find candida, you go look at your at your uh, bacteria flora, you look at your biome. If you're missing lactobacillus or bifidus or E. coli or any or all, or all of them, you have candida. Mm-hmm. Now, why I say that is because it's impossible not to, because the neutral gram negative E. coli and the gram-positive bifidus and gram-positive lactobacillus are what protects you from candida overgrowth. So once you remove those, the candida just automatically is going to overgrow. And the fact it doesn't show in the stool test really doesn't make any difference because that goes back to the, the story I just told you about how difficult it is to actually culture them. Because by the time they get to the lab, they're, they're all dead and half decomposed. And this is the same thing with intestinal worms. This is why... Uh, patients get so frustrated a patient will go to the toilet and he'll poop this weird thing out that he knows he didn't need he knows it's got to be a worm and he brings it into the doctor or sends it to the lab and they say we can't identify it mm-hmm. well why can't we why can't they identify it it's because it's half digested when you when you get a live roundworm and you cut it open you see it has um, its own anatomy in there. It has a digestive system. It has its own parts. By the time that organism reaches the lab and they cut it open, it's all mush because your, your enzymes and your digestive system have already begun digesting this organism. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not going to work that way. Mm-hmm. This is this is why we need different interpretation when we're dealing with these particular opportunistic infections. They're very, very sneaky. Yeah, and I can give people a visual uh, on your book. You actually, it kind of looks like you're holding a flashlight in someone's intestines to see some sort of growth. So yeah, that that is a real picture of someone's intestines who okay. had really horrible candida. Yeah, and so in here is a lot of symptoms that people can get familiar with to understand without any sort of testing. Of course, we always want to test and not guess, but. Just to just to look at those symptoms is a big eye opener for a lot of people to go, wow, I didn't know that was even a symptom of candida. So can you go over some, you know, there's the common ones like like we talked about yeast infections and thrush, 
But what about some internal things that become external, these odd symptoms that people may not know have to do with candida and even their thyroid? What typically happens in a person who develops candida is their first symptom is fatigue. Mm -hmm. They feel un, un, um, un, sort of a, their normalcy is gone. They don't have that normal pep they usually are used to, and they feel fatigued, sluggish. And then after a while, they'll start to notice that they're maybe a little depressed. Mm -hmm. Then they'll start to notice their digestion has changed. Either they're having diarrhea or they're constipated and they're very gassy and bloated. They start to notice that when they eat a meal, they feel like they swallowed a log. Mm -hmm. The food is just sitting there in their stomach and it feels like just like nothing is digesting. Mm. Then they start to notice that they may be more allergic than they normally would. They're sneezing, they're coughing, they're having these symptoms. And as time goes by, they can start developing legitimate allergies to things. They can start developing rashes where they never had rashes before. Rash could be anywhere. It could be eczema. It could be psoriasis. It could be jock itch. could be whatever. And then as time further goes on, they start having cognitive problems. They start forgetting people's names. They walk into a room and they say, why am I in this room? How did, what was I coming in here for? I don't remember. They start. So this is the typical thing that happens with people when they've developed candida. But when you start looking at the variety of symptoms candida can cause, that can really freak people out because they're totally, they can be completely disrelated. And a lot of it just depends on the person's genes. Mm -hmm. Candida will stress out whatever the weak point is in your genetic profile. So if in your family, you're, you develop arthritis at the age of 70, you get candida, you develop the arthritis now. Mm. And you may, if you have really strong digestion, you may not have the digestive symptoms. You may just have arthritis from it. And there's where it starts getting confusing, where people only start developing certain of the symptoms of candida based on their own genetic weaknesses. They don't get that overall pattern or picture that I just gave you. That's mm -hmm. why candida can be so dangerous and tricky, because then you would never think that's what it was. Yeah, absolutely. And even I saw you mentioned in their de deficiencies, like I, as a nutritionist, I'm always looking at deficiencies people have and even symptoms like a magnesium deficiency could have to do with candida. What other deficiencies can show up if someone has chronic candida? Very commonly, B12 and folic acid are deficient, very commonly. Um, copper can be deficient because copper Copper in your body is actually um, a major part of your antibacterial, antifungal system. Just like the analogy to that is copper sulfate that you put in a swimming pool because it's an antifungal. It kills it immediately. And magnesium, as you said before, can start to drop in people. But what's, what's more interesting than anything is how candida causes deficiencies itself. These deficiencies I just talked about could make someone prone to candida, like a low level of molybdenum, selenium, copper, uh, magnesium. But at one time in my, in my practice, we tested people when they came in using um, the organics test and some other tests, mm -hmm. get a, go a good overall picture of their of their nutrition and their deficiencies. And what we found is that when we took a patient with candida and we eliminated the candida, their levels of nutrients rose higher than before we started this process and we never gave them a vitamin. Hmm. So what that proved to me is that candida causes a significant amount of deficiencies and you don't have to treat them, which is lucky because if you start, if you take a person with candida and you start treating him for all his vitamin deficiencies, you're going to make the candida worse. 
And the reason why that is, is there are some key nutrients that actually do make candida worse and feed it directly. One of them is coenzyme Q10, which nobody would ever have suspected. But coenzyme Q10 will spread candida. Vitamin D, which mm-hmm. is the most popular nutrient in the world now, will actively spread candida and make it worse. So will iron, mm-hmm. the mineral iron. Very, These are very common things people will take for deficiencies. And if someone wants, if someone doesn't want to believe this because they sell vitamin D or some story, how I know this is true is if you go and get a, a, a package of ketoconazole, which is one of the most common popular antifungal drugs in the world, if you read the mechanisms of action of how this drug works to get rid of candida, it's, it says right in there that what it does is it blocks the candida's uptake of vitamin D. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to kill candida by blocking its ability to, uh, to consume vitamin D, how is taking vitamin D possibly going to help you if you have candida? Mm-hmm. Doesn't make sense, does it? No, Same no. thing is true with iron. Go read the specs on Nystatin. Niastatin specifically works to eliminate candida by blocking the candida's ability to absorb iron. Mm-hmm. So once again, I would say, you know, how could you then treat a person for anemia? That's a very tricky thing to do. Treating a woman for anemia when she has candida but, and trying to give her iron, it's a, you, you go into, you're chasing your tail around a tree because she's taking the iron to try to build up her red blood cell count. But guess who's eating all the iron and getting worse? And then the candida symptoms are getting worse. So it's, it's, not, it's not workable. This is why when you're dealing with candida, you have to be full steam ahead and getting rid of it fast. Mm-hmm. so that you avoid all these pitfalls that you'll fall into because you'll be very distracted with all the person's symptoms and all their deficiencies, and you're just wasting your time. You just have to get rid of the candida as fast as possible. And that's really going to the root of the problem too, rather than like you were talking, don't just give somebody magnesium, see if they have candida, resolve the candida, and then they'll retain some magnesium. And when they eat it from foods, they're going to retain it versus the candida stealing it from them. They'll, re- you know, they'll retain more than if you give them the supplement in most right. cases. Yeah. But the, one of the symptoms of someone with chronic candida is they don't tolerate supplements or medications very well. Similar, it's very similar to a person, if you look in the in, in the um, in the literature, people who have low stomach acid mm-hmm. are notorious for not being able to tolerate medications, and they also don't tolerate nutrients in the same light, and they don't absorb them either. Mm-hmm. But now, what's interesting is guess what person is most likely to have low stomach acid? It's your candida patient. Mm-hmm. In fact, many years ago, hydrochloric acid used to be used as an antifungal. Because when a person takes hydrochloric acid, the the added acidity in their stomach helps to adjust the pH of their intestines, and that helps to kill off the candida. Candida doesn't like alkalinity, and that's weird for people to hear because nowadays in healthcare, or especially alternative healthcare, people toss the term around all the time of being alkaline. Being alkaline is good. Well, where? Where is being alkaline good? Mm-hmm. In your In your bloodstream? In your lymph system, in your intestinal tract, in your urine, where are we talking? Mm-hmm. Well, in the intestinal tract, the intestinal tract wants to be or should be have a pH of between 6 to 7.2. So not 7.6 or 8, which is an ex- which is extreme. That, yeah, that's where candida grows. So these things are all relative. Um, very funny. If you take your urine pH every hour, you're going to see that as... One more alkaline on its own, 
so beware of products that 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 you take to make yourself more alkaline because you'll take your pH in the morning and you'll take the product and you'll see where it is. And then as you take the product and the day goes on, you're going to become more alkaline. That's going to happen whether you take that product or not, just by, by the way, because I've had some patients who got suckered into taking something like this. But the vaginal area, if the pH goes above three, you'll get a yeast infection. Yeah. So the purpose of doing something corrective in the vaginal area is to bring the pH below three, and that kills the candida. So when we talk about pH, we have to talk about what specifically, what are we talking about? Because it's as a general rule, what I think what a lot of the health advocates are thinking is that when your cells are more alkaline as opposed to more acidic, that's a healthier state. And I would agree with that but not in the intestinal tract. The intestinal tract needs to be below 7.2, otherwise you'll have candida growing. So that's one of the things that happens. Why does that happen? It's because lactobacillus acidophilus, mm-hmm. acidophilus, mm-hmm. lactobacillus acidophilus is in your intestinal tract to produce acids. Mm-hmm. It produces acids and hydrogen peroxides, which keep that pH in that range, that's six to 7.2. So once you kill the acidophilus, that pH starts to soar, and then the candida starts to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then is it the chicken or the egg? Like, so you mentioned low stomach acid. Low stomach acid could probably proliferate candida, but also you were saying candida can actually cause low stomach acid. Right, and these are this is where this gets um, so confusing for people. That's where it gets confusing, and that's that's why. It took it took me a few years to crack the code because I had to look at all of these. What how I cracked the code, as you said before, is I just simply well, I didn't know what candida was back in the eighties. I had no clue. So people came to me and we put them on these sophisticated uh, nutrient programs from Nutridyne and VM Nutrient, all these companies that don't, don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, based on the the biocybernetic system and about 30% of them had crazy reactions to the vitamins and i it took me a, about 6 months to figure out what they had going on and i i saw that they had some kind of intestinal disturbance some kind of dysbiosis and i was so stupid at that time that i told them to go to their medical doctors and tell the medical doctors that you that you have candida and he needs to cure you of it and then come back to me and i'll put you back on the vitamin program well these patients went to their doctors they said well the do- this nutritionist says there's evidence that I have candida. And they say, well, everybody has candida. So what's that? That's not a, or some doctor said it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. He had the patient, they had the, my patient spinning in a chart. So I happen to know at the time, I was very good friends with Dr. Bob Atkins yeah. and, and with Dr. Ronald Hoffman, mm-hmm. who were probably the two first functional medical doctors in New York city. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, well, go to these guys. They know about this and tell them what's going on and they're going to cure you. And then you come back to me. So the people came back and they said, well, this was much, much better. They knew what you were talking about. And they said, yes, it, it exists. And they gave me a diet to follow and they gave me medicine to take. And I felt better. I felt really much better after the first month or two. But then all the symptoms started to come back. And that's when I sat down and decided I had to crack the code. And what I did was is I simply listened to what all the patients were saying and I took that information and I went back and I hit the medical textbooks on mycology to look for correlations. And I, I knew right off the bat that what they were doing wasn't working. So I reversed engineered the whole thing in order to determine what you shouldn't do. So whatever they were doing that wasn't working, I did the opposite. <laughs> the toughest one 
was learning that you had to rotate antifungals. And this is a key thing. When a doctor has a person on an antifungal, whether it's nystatin, ketoconazole, um, diflucan, uh, caprylic acid, powdarco, I don't care what it is. Once you hit 21 days, a genetic mutation begins in the candida cells. Candida cells have mother cells and daughter cells. After 21 days of being exposed to the same antifungal, the mother cells start to tell the daughter cells what to do genetically to avoid being destroyed by this medication. Mm -hmm. That's where genetic mutation occurs. That's where you have candida albicans now becoming candida tropicalis or candida galbrata or some other species. That was that was a difficult step in understanding. Luckily enough, I ran into a, um, a, a doctor of oriental medicine in those days whose name was Scott Gregory. And Scott Gregory had written a book called The Holistic Protocol for the Immune System. And he laid out how the these different uh, powerful herbal medicines needed to be rotated to avoid resistance, whether it's a virus or candida. And that opened up my eyes to that whole concept. And that's where we we developed then the idea of rotation. Um, second thing I would say would be acidophilus. This is where the companies want to put out a hitman on me. <laughs> Probiotics don't work. Yeah. I'm sorry to say this. They don't work. They don't work the way you've been told they work. Yeah. They por It's portrayed that if you have candida and you take a probiotic, your, your problems are solved. Mm -hmm. If that was the case, I would be playing golf right now. I wouldn't be talking. <laughs> right. I wouldn't be seeing 60, 70 patients a week who are all coming to me with the same story. And a bag full of probiotics. <laughs> right. The reason why they don't work is very simple. Is two, two um, let me see how to put it. Well, two items can't occupy the same place in the same time in the universe. Right. Can't be. So based on that datum, Candida cannot be in the same place as the probiotic or vice versa. When people try to take probiotics, what happens is the candida repels them. Just like when you were a kid and you were playing with the magnets and you found out that if you moved them in a certain uh, way, they would push push off against each other and yeah. they would repel. That's what happens in your gut. It's the same exact thing that's happening. It's a magnetic issue. Uh, probiotics, when they try to seat themselves again in your intestinal tract, will be pushed away by the candida. It's a polarity issue. So you have to remove the candida first and then the probiotics will, will stick. Mm -hmm. And then once that happens, now you're safe. Now the candida can't grow back. But you've got to do that in your small intestine. There's 40 feet, let's say, of your small intestine that's governed by acidophilus. And then there's another eight feet of the colon that's governed by bifidus bacteria. Mm -hmm. And then there are, there are patches between both where you have your neutral a gram-negative E. coli that does something similar. Now, there is a friendly E. coli. When I say E. coli, people are like, you know, they're thinking of like spoiled hamburger meat. No, no, there is a form, a, a, a major amount of your intestinal bacteria is gram-negative E. coli, but it's a friendly E. coli. It's neutral. It doesn't produce infections necessarily, but it does, it does repel harmful forms of bacteria and yeast. So you have to get all those back in. Now, in the United States, they don't sell E. coli supplements <laughs> because the FDA freaks out. You mentioned E. coli. They don't know to differentiate. If yeah. you go to Europe, in Germany, for instance, in the pharmacies there, you can buy supplements of E. coli. It's friendly gram-negative bacteria. Mm -hmm. What I found out 
what I found out worked was um, when you get the when you're giving the person the probiotics, the acidophilus and the bifidus, there is a substance that they that that you can buy that actually comes from Europe. It's called herbal melange. Herbal melange has been around for a long time. It's a supplement that's been made out of a kind of a moor, which is sort of like a mud, mm-hmm. a clay that's mixed with various herbs. It's a very old, old, old recipe. And this herbal melange has the ability actually to reinstate the the gram-negative E. coli. That's fascinating. What would yeah. be some symptoms that people would experience if they didn't have good E. coli? If they, an absence of um, the gram-negative E. coli normally will cause diarrhea. Okay. That's one of the first symptoms that you'll have. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You'll have diarrhea. Because it slows things down, mm-hmm. where symptoms of lack of gram-positive bacteria are usually constipation. Somebody with with a lack of uh, bifidus or acidophilus is usually constipated. Gram-positive bacteria speed things up. Gram-negative bacteria slow things down. Okay. It's just like cold and heat. Cold slows things down. Heat speeds things up. It's very similar. Same thing with acid and alkaline. So. You can have e- e- um, gram-negative e- gram-negative bacteria, alkalinity, and cold all slow things down. And the reverse is true with gram-positive acid. So that's but, but that to answer your question, that's what you'll if you don't have enough for the the friendly E. coli, you'll have diarrhea. And this is one of the reasons why this herbal melange product is sold in Europe okay. is because it's taken as a remedy for chronic diarrhea. So gut is hugely important when it comes to looking for the the root cause of candida and leaky gut is something you talk about a lot in your book and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned constipation because i can't tell you how many times i hear that from people and so i'm always look at their at, i'm looking at their possible candida status tell us some underlying gut issues that people are trying to fix like with things like digestive enzymes and probiotics and why it's not it's not that easy. Like we were talking about, you don't just bring in probiotics. There's a specific protocol that you want to start with. And the first part is like starting to work on eliminating the candida, but right. like GERD and things like that. Tell us about some other gut issues people should be aware of. Well, first major thing to be aware of is depression. Okay. Right. I, I can't tell you how many people that are on these dangerous psychotropic drugs that the doctors themselves don't even know how, how they work really are depressed because they're constipated and they have bad flora. I've heard I've heard it a million times in the years I've been practicing that once I got a person who was chronically constipated to get their bowels moving again, their outlook on life changed, they became more chipper, they felt lighter throughout the body and there's and there's their beingness. They just felt so much better. Their depression just was gone. They were happier, and they didn't know why. They say, well, simply going to the bathroom, sitting on the toilet and pooping. I don't know why that's making me happy, but I just feel much better. I'm not depressed anymore. But there's a reason. Hormones and neurotransmitters are all regulated through your gut biome. Absolutely. Most doctors don't know this. They have no clue. People with menstrual problems and hormone problems, often it's being affected by your gut biome. Mm-hmm. The, the gut biome shuffles neurotransmitters and hormones in and out of your bloodstream. You could think of your, your gut as being like a holding tank for your neurotransmitters and your hormones. Mm-hmm. And your body shuffles them in and out of your blood as it needs to adjust them. But it can't do that if there's candida or bad biome there. 
So this is why the person is going to have hormone problems and all of these business, all this business. Um, to develop the uh, leaky gut, you've got to have a significant amount of candida there and other harmful organisms to the point where it actually injures the gut lining right. and causes damage. A, leaky, a person with leaky gut actually has their gut lining kind of stretched to the point where it becomes porous. Mm-hmm. And then the th- substances which normally would not be allowed to enter the bloodstream come into the bloodstream and mm-hmm. your immune system attacks them, yeah. which is its job. Yeah. And, but once you're, you. once you, once you're that bad, then um, uh, it's not, it's not, well, it's not simple in the, at, at any point, but once it's that bad, you then have to really understand what you're doing because the more you try to treat the person, usually the worse you make them. Mm-hmm. Because nutrients, nutrients can aggravate a leaky gut. Just like taking too much vitamin C would cause diarrhea. Mm-hmm. It's a mild, it's a mild point. But when you take excess vitamin C, the reason why you get diarrhea is because you've taken so much, your body can't absorb it, and it starts to irritate your gut lining. So your body excretes it. That's how most laxatives w- work. Mm-hmm. Most laxatives work by causing some kind of irritation to the nerve endings in your in your colon. So your body's instinct is to pull moisture in to excrete it. Yeah. So when you have leaky gut, you have to be really careful how you treat the patient. Otherwise, you make the, you make them worse and you make all their symptoms worse. Yeah. And then to go back to the hormones you were talking about. So hormones are re- regulated by the liver and in the gut. And so many, I'm sure you have them too, patients with perimenopausal women, gut issues, hormonal issues, obviously candida, and even hypothyroidism, we see that a lot in perimenopausal and menopausal women. And so why, like, could it be translated from maybe in their past when they took a birth control pill, or is it because of undue stress that's damaged their uh, bacteria, like the bifidobacteria that 70% of our gut should be made up of, and now it's proliferated candida? What do you say to that? It's a combination of things, and it's every case is individual. Okay. What I what I have people do if they're if they want to if they're curious enough because I can usually spot it by going through their history. Mm-hmm. But if you have a patient, take a piece of paper and draw a timeline. You have them write birth here and present time here, and then you have them go intervals of ten years. Okay. So have you looked back to when you were healthy, and when you didn't have the complaints right now that are troubling you? Go back to there, and now I want you to go back intervals of years, and I want you to spot something that happened. Mm -hmm. What happened prior to you getting sick? It could be five years prior, maybe 10, but something happened. You either were were in an accident, something happened, or you changed your diet, decided to support McDonald's, you started (laughs) taking some kind of medication or some kind of drug, something happened, and whatever that was, that's what injured your biome, and then from there, that point forward, you were in a spin. Mm Mm-hmm. Very good. I love the timeline thing. I always ask my clients, when was the last time you felt good and what happened mm-hmm. just before? Then? <laughs> and 90% of the time, they're not going to remember or they're going to say, I always felt that way. But that's not true. If you just continue to question them in the right manner, you will find that that's not true. And they'll they'll usually be able to spot what it was. And I would assume if their body's under large amounts of stress and their hormones are tanking and cortisol and adrenaline are in the front seat, that this is going to be a perfect storm for candida to grow, yeah? 
Yeah, well, we know cortisol stimulates the growth of candida, mm -hmm. and so does estrogen, and both do it in a similar manner. They both increase the amount of glucose in your tiny blood vessels that the candida taps into. Mm -hmm. That's the mechanism of how they do that. So, yeah, it's a per it is the perfect storm. And so, yeah, going to what candida feeds on, that is part of like your protocol. Like when you address candida, you have specific diets even in your book that you work with people on. And so what should people, where do they start? Like when it comes to like a diet that you recommend, obviously well, they want to not feed the candida. So how do you know they... so every candida diet, almost everyone is going to be low in sugar, low in starch, because that's the universal thing that they all will have in common. Mm -hmm. Okay. Starch starch gets converted to glucose. Glucose is already sugar. White sugar is is immediately converted to glucose. Mm -hmm. So, and that's what candida lives on. Candida doesn't live on fat. It doesn't live on protein. Um, if you become, if you're on a high protein diet and you become really constipated from that, you'll make the candida worse as a result in the pH change that comes about by being constipated. But candida doesn't eat protein. It doesn't eat fat, it eats sugar. Mm -hmm. So there are a few practitioners out there who are spreading this false data that candida doesn't eat fructose and that you can get rid of candida by doing a vegetarian diet or something like this, which is just not the case. Mm -hmm. I think what would probably happen in, in these people's cases is this worked for them for some reason. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I can imagine how it's possible, but it's not typical. But they probably followed a health diet and their candida went away. And now they're thinking that this diet is good for everyone. When I took the time to actually speak to one of these people and um, what I actually found out was this. This person was on a junk food diet. They didn't exercise. They were taking drugs. They were taking a lot of alcohol. So they stopped the alcohol, they stopped the drugs, they stopped the, the junk food, they went on a vegetarian diet, they got a lot healthier, and the candida went away. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, the dose definitely makes the poison for sure. Now, but what about, I've heard that small, you want small amounts of sugar or glucose to draw them, to draw the candida out of the biofilm in order to feed off of it to where then you have the antifungals coming in to feed it or no? That's not necessary. No, okay. That's that's similar to an old recipe that we heard of years ago, where to kill parasites, you miss you mix honey, milk, and garlic. Okay. And this this came out of Israel. It's a very old the concept. Is that when the when the parasites see the milk and the honey is there, they they're drawn out to feed on that, and the garlic kills them. Mm -hmm. But this is um, primitive, very primitive concept. Um. You, you just simply need a, uh, the right substances to break up the biofilm and then the right substances to kill them once the biofilm is broken up. And that's that's all she wrote. It's, it's not any you don't need glucose to draw them out. That's ridiculous. Well, I like in your book how you have certain categories like you have the looseners that loosen up the biofilm and mm -hmm. you have the bulldozers that come in and bulldoze out the debris once it's broken right. up. So, I mean, you have you have a specific protocol that is really while it's got some detail, it's actually quite easy to follow if you just follow the different phases that you have. Yeah, so, true. I'm trying to verbally illustrate it so yeah. people can get that concept mm -hmm. because it really is that it's very complicated until you know the truth. Right. It's like everything else. Mm -hmm. It was like the JFK assassination seems very complicated until you right. really know the truth of what happened. Then it's simple. And it's the same thing that's true with Candida.
Mm-hmm. Candida seems very complicated until you read my book and you read all the what you shouldn't do and what you should do. And then it's all obvious. And then you can say, oh, why didn't I think of that? But it does take time because from what I understand, you don't just do a 30 day candida diet and it's all gone. Huh? No, that's impossible. <laughs> that's It's no. not possible that I know of that that could happen. Yeah. It takes several months to get rid of candida, mm-hmm. probably six to six to 12 months mm-hmm. on an average. Because you have to figure in the person's lifestyle and life events that happens. Mm-hmm. They have to go to a wedding or they, they end up on a vacation or they have something happens that, and there's always going to be things that are going to interrupt what's going on. Yeah. But um, if a person was able to go flat out on it, they can handle it in six to eight months. This, what you're What you're needing to do is you're needing to disinfect their intestinal tract, essentially. And that's done in stages because the candida itself grows in different stages and it grows in those stages in different locations. Mm-hmm. So the first phase of our program, phase zero, deals with the the candida and the parasites, which are in obvious easy places in the intestinal tract to get rid of. It's more the surface areas. Then we go to phase one, which kills the candida systemically and in the intestinal tract. We use antifungals on phase one that get absorbed in your lymph system, travel throughout the body, kill the candida everywhere in the body, and then further kill it in the intestines. Then we go to phase two, which uses very particular fatty acid-based antifungals, which kill the candida really deep in the intestinal tract where it hides. That is the exact form of candida that repels the probiotics. Mm-hmm. So once we have that candida dead, then we can add the probiotics back in and the probiotics will stick. Right. Yeah. I love and then, then we can go on looking for other causes at that point because you have a clean slate. So then we go to phase three and it's on phase three that we start correcting someone's thyroid problems. But actually the first thing we look for on phase three are toxic metals. Mm-hmm. The toxic metals are the most important toxin because toxic metals stop your body from getting rid of other toxins that are uh let's say oil, oil-based oil or water-based, mm-hmm. when you have toxins stored in your body that are from petrochemicals and whatnot, if you have heavy metals in your body, your body can't detoxify those. So we've got to remove the heavy metals first. And, when, and the key heavy metal that we look for in someone with candida is mercury mm-hmm. because mercury is so commonly a, an issue, mercury and copper. Um, mercury and copper both can be... Um, um, it, it introduced into the body by vaccinations, mm-hmm. uh, by thym- thimerosal, which was the preservative added to vaccinations to preserve it, give it shelf life. But unfortunately, you get enough of that mercury and copper in your body and boom, you're a, a thyroid and your immune system is disabled. Mm-hmm. And then also amalgam fillings. Most people don't know this, but the silver amalgam fillings that dentists use for years are an alloy of zinc, copper and mercury. This is why copper and mercury are the key, the two key that that if, if you don't have them, luckily, the other metals are easier to deal with. But those can be bad because they impede. You see, th- thyroid function is essential for your liver to, de- to detox. Mm-hmm. Essentially, T4 hits your liver and T4 tells your liver to detoxify. It stimulates your glutathione pathways. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have that happening, it makes it harder for your liver to detoxify. And what impedes T4 is copper and mercury. Now, going back to the candida and what they feed off of, um, because different protocols, you know, you have an easy one in there, you have more advanced one, you have kind of a caveman one in your Mm -hmm. book. 
But what about certain foods that are fungus or yeast containing or mycotoxin containing? Like for instance, coffee can be high in mycotoxins. Would somebody do well to eliminate coffee during a candida protocol? Depends on how bad they are. Okay. Most of my patients on the candida program can drink a a coffee or two per day and be okay. Mm -hmm. But that again, depends on the coffee, how contaminated it is. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, the first concern is always are always foods that will directly feed the candida and make it grow. Okay. But but diet can the interesting thing is diet can't get rid of candida. Right. You can put someone on a 30-day fast and the candida will still be there to to a mile a small degree, let's say a mild degree, but it's not going to be gone. The reason why it's not going to be gone is you're still alive and you still have glucose mm-hmm. in your bloodstream and the candida's tapped into that. That's why it would be great if fasting got rid of it, but it doesn't. It doesn't. It's a good, it's a very good adjunct, and colonics are also. Other than my actual treatment plan, the one thing that I would love to add to it, but it's not really fair to do that because not everyone has the um, finances or the availability, would be colonic treatments. Mm-hmm. Because colonics physically flush and irrigate the colon out. You can remove a lot of waste products and a lot of, of the bad biome by by doing that that um, manual irrigation, if you want to think of it that way. Okay. And then something else that's cutting edge is ozone. Like, what do you feel about ozone, like insufflation, like rectal insufflation? Is that going to do anything to candida or no? Unfortunately, I have to say no, because I just haven't seen it to have gone, gone that route and they didn't get anywhere. So theoretically it should. And mm-hmm. I don't know why it doesn't or why I haven't found results with, with it. That was one big major player in my mold. Like when I got over toxic mold, when I had ozone injections or in IV ozone, um, that made a huge difference in my mold exposure. So I was wondering, wow, if it that. affected mold, then maybe it has something, you know, that it can. It, sh- it should. Mold, fu- mold um, and fungus and yeast are virtually all the same thing. So it sh- it really should. I just have not seen it happen. Yeah, I'm, I just may I may not be lucky in that regard, but I've had lots of patients who've gone for ozone and it really didn't make that much of a difference in their treatment. And remember, I'm testing these people constantly. Yeah, so I'm seeing that. their levels. Let's talk about the bio bio cybernetics. This testing that you do because it's unique. Nobody else does this, right? Well, it's not it's not the bio cybernetics that tests okay. them. We will we will use the organics test and look at their organic acids for candida. Mm-hmm. We'll use different stool tests to look at their biome. And we have a urine test I developed about 25 years ago that is self-administered. You can do it at home. It checks the levels of free radicals in your body being released by candida. Mm-hmm. It checks candida proteins that are interacting with your immune system. And it also checks the level of uh, putrefaction going on in your intestinal tract, which would equal harmful bacteria and parasites. Mm-hmm. So we check these levels on people every month. So we're constantly aware of their, what their levels are looking like. Wow. That's fantastic. Now, but what about the biocybernetics? Tell us how that works. Oh, a whole different story. But biocybernetics <laughs> started years ago when I first got out of, um, when I first got into naturopathic school, I, in naturopathic school, I mostly studied the interpretation of blood work. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at, I was studying uh, doctors like Jim Seema, and there were a few other chiropractors who were able to interpret blood work way beyond what a medical doctor could look at or understand. So um, 
we actually were at that point working with Grumman Aerospace. And the Grumman had a contract from NASA to develop a computerized system to analyze the astronauts' blood when they were in space station, deep space, or I shouldn't say, but let's say in prolonged space um, stays, to look at their nitrogen levels, look at their calcium. Because when you're in space, there's no gravity, and you start to lose muscle mass, you lose calcium off your bone because of that. So we developed this computer model, which was literally like taking Guyton's physiology book and Harper's biochemistry, and we all, we put it into a Fortran computer language so that the computer could simulate what was going on in the person's body when we gave them the numbers. Mm -hmm. So the computer would typically look at an SMA26, a CBC. It would look at a hair mineral analysis. It would look at uh, points, acupuncture points. It would look at where the person was normally adjusted by a chiropractor. It would get all this data, including all their symptoms, and it would run a mock simulation of their whole body. It would spit out like 30 pages and tell us everything that was going on. But because we had to be careful that we weren't practicing medicine, we can't have the computer saying, you have a B1 deficiency, therefore you're neurologically this or that. It had to say, you had to have the, physiologi the physiological statement from Guyton. B1 supports proper neurological function and blah, 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 blah. So we had to have it in that manner. But um, the, the computer could duplicate somebody's metabolism. Oh, wow. And it could tell you exactly what vitamins they needed and why and what vitamins they didn't need that would throw them out of balance and why. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. I want to have that done. <laughs> we, we had a patient once. I'll never forget this. This patient had um, came to us and the computer pinpointed that their hypothalamus was mal malfunctioning because the, hypo the hypothelial stalk, which is a part of the spine that comes up into your brain, the hypothelial stalk vibrates. And it's gives you it, it has certain vibrations that then tell the hypothalamus gland what to do, how to direct the anterior pituitary and the pituitary then to secrete various hormones in terms of what it needed to balance in the body. It's a whole feedback loop in there. So this person came in, we ran the analysis, and it it, it told us step by step what was wrong with their hypothalamus and the hypothelial stalk and this whole business. And I think it just went over the over their head, but. They ended up going to um, John Hopkins University, and at, they 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 called us and said, "Well, I'm at John Hopkins, and he, they think there's something wrong with my hypothalamus, but they don't know what it is. Oh. And I would have to be here for a few months." And I said, "Well, why don't you just show them the report that we gave you?" Mm -hmm. And I and they said, "Yeah, they were going to do that. That's the last I ever heard of them." But that just to give you an example, uh, we have you have a computer that has all the knowledge of Guyton's physiology and all the, the knowledge of Harper's biochemistry and then all the knowledge of all the prominent nutritionists at that time who all contributed. Mm -hmm. We had many nutritionists contributed. Um, and they, you have all that knowledge in a computer program that can, that can complete an analysis of, of your whole body in less than five minutes. Yeah, That's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive, yeah. Well, I just think it's great that you are going to the root of so many issues that begin with this one thing, like there, this really could be the root cause of so many other things. And you address it in like a proper order based on reading your book, but also like hearing you talk, like you just, you, you know, your stuff. So I appreciate that about, you Now, one question I also have is I've learned that there was a new strain of candida based on this recent pandemic we went through. So can candida you, auris. yeah, can you talk about that? Candida auris is a new strain. It's a mutation from Japan, 
which is drug resistive. There's no known drug that can kill it. We found that there are different herbs, and you, some people would never believe this, that if you actually combine these herbs with the pharmaceuticals, it actually can kill candida auris rather easily. Mm-hmm. And we've had many cases where we just gave them the herbs. And one of the key herbs we found out is cinnamon. Mm. Nice. And I think I read thyme too, maybe thyme. Yeah, cinnamon, thyme, fenugreek, some yeah. common cooking herbs. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, some of the herbs that also you find typically used in curries okay. can kill this candida auris. Excellent. Yeah, because those are stuff we can, you know, have on hand every day. Now, when somebody is going through a protocol and they're going to start experiencing die off, tell us about that, because a lot of people don't understand that there's there's a little bit of repercussion when you kill candida. Yeah. Candida is a living organism, has a structure. It has a body. It, it sort of looks like broccoli underneath a, a high-powered microscope. But when you kill it, it decomposes. It dies. It wilts like a plant It decomposes. Mm-hmm. And it releases toxins. It releases its own proteins that your body reacts allergically to. And normally when a person starts reacting allergically to the candida as it dies, they feel tired. They feel like they have the flu. They have chills, aches and pains, headaches, things like that. They may even get symptoms of a cold or a flu. Mm-hmm. That's called Herxheimer reaction. Mm-hmm. Dr. Herxheimer was the guy who discovered this happened. So he named it after himself. Mm-hmm. And... um we know it as, as we know it of as die off. That's what we call it, mm-hmm. because the candida is dying off, and you're feeling sick as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's temporary. Drinking a lot of water, taking things like stinging nettles, tea, um, just increasing your bowel movements by taking castor oil or capsules or something like that. Anything you do to purge yourself or flush yourself out relieves the die off. Yeah, I even read in your book, frozen castor oil, because you want it to get down into the large intestine. Yeah, you want it to pass your stomach. If castor oil hits your stomach and acts like an irritant and gives you diarrhea, mm-hmm. when you freeze the capsules, it'll go into your intestinal tract and coat the intestinal tract. And therefore, it will loosen up everything in the intestinal tract. And castor oil is also converted by the enzymes in your intestines into undesalinic acid, okay. which is one of the most powerful antifungals. Mm-hmm. See, this is stuff you don't hear anywhere else, people. This is why I had this guy on. He knows his stuff. So that's pretty cool. It's all in the it's all in the book. Yeah, it is. It's all in the book. Yeah. Okay. So how can people uh, you do work with patients and you work I understand mostly online? Yeah, we work exclusively online, virtually. I I did my first consultation by phone, I think it was in nineteen eighty seven. Right. And the, the, the stats have been on that increased every year because we don't, you know, my uncle's in Texas and there's nobody there who does what you do. Can you help them? So we would do phone consultations. Okay. Then when with the advent of the Internet and things like Zoom and we, we use um, a, a platform called Doxy, which is HIPAA approved. Okay. And but we do everything virtual. So the, all they have to do is just go to my website, which is health-truth.com or they can go to the New York City Candida Doctor website or the New York City Thyroid Doctor website. They can find us on Facebook or Instagram, wherever. They just contact the office. Then we will get back to them and we can set them up with an appointment so they can start. That's excellent. Yeah. So I'll put all those links in the show notes so you know how to find you. But 
Uh, Dr. Biamonte, this has been very inform informative, and I hope to have you back on because I, oh. I could I could talk to you, I think, all day. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd be more than happy to do that. Maybe the next time we'll talk about the dangers of psych psychotropic drugs. drugs. Yeah. That needs to be talked about. Yeah, it really does because so <laughs> there are so many ill people that's, first of all, psychiatrists are not a good example of a health professional. Mm. Most people don't know this, but if you study psychiatrists, you find out that as a group, they have the lowest SAT scores. They have the highest incidence of felony crimes. So they're not a good representation. No. But 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 the drugs that they give are all given under this concept that there's a chemical imbalance. This is what they always talk about. And yet, if you ask them for the reference on that, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Psychiatrists have never been able to prove that there actually is a chemical imbalance. You can't find it. You can go look, look at look it up on the internet. You find there's no reference they have to back this up. Yet in my field, we know chemical imbalances are very simple. What they're trying to say is that the neurotransmitters are out of balance, mm -hmm. but their way of dealing with it is archaic. SSRIs are insane. You know why? When you watch a commercial advertising an SSRI. Why do they list so many side effects, including the exact reason you want to take the drug? Right. <laughs> well, there's there's a reason for that. What an SSRI actually does is it blocks the uptake of serotonin in your brain. So it starves your brain of serotonin in order to make your serotonin receptor sites more acutely aware so right. that it the small amount that is there is better utilized. And in a lot of people that allegedly helps their symptoms, but there are lots of others that when you starve them further of serotonin, because they're already low, they want to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. And so, so this is the reckless abandonment you have in the psychiatry profession, that they would give people drugs like that. And then they get into combining these drugs. This gets even more interesting because they're now making new chemical compounds that have never been tested. When you start to combine psychopharmaceutical drugs, you're creating some other some other thing that's never been tested. The FDA didn't put combinations of these things through trials. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I just had a client recently that said, "I finally came off my SSRI and I feel better." Like yeah, I'm not surprised. It was on my SSRI. S so. SSRIs kill also kill friendly bacteria. They do, yeah. As does the COVID vaccine. Mm -hmm. We found we got a, a great feat for quite some time now. I've known that COVID and the vaccine cause candida in people because during the peak of COVID, we had a lot of candida patients come back and say, "It's my symptoms are back. I know it's back. Yeah. We didn't understand exactly what was going on because it seemed to be people who were vaccinated or got COVID. It was either way. And then we finally found a reference that that clear, clearly showed with great authority that COVID and the, especially the vaccine kills in, uh, the bifidus in your colon. Mm -hmm. So right there, it's all explained. We just put this out in a newsletter a while ago. Oh, yeah. it, it, we put out the actual reference. It, I think the reference was from Japan. And it, it, they, they actually showed that the COVID vaccine kills your bifidus bacteria. Wow, that's that's incredible. And that was one of the things that drew me to you because you talked about bifido. There's not a lot of doctors promoting how powerful bifido is when it's given in the right context, that is. But how well, it's, it's it's actually very simple. Acidophilus inhabits your small intestine, bifidus mm -hmm. inhabits the colon. I mean, so if you're gonna replenish somebody's probiotics, you have to do both. Right. Yeah. Okay, last question, and then I'll let you go because I've took up a lot of your time today. But I like to ask my my guests a nice personal question of 
I believe that every day should have at least one exquisite moment. So can you share with me today what has been your most exquisite moment? Well, it's actually the same one. Every, it's the same type every day. Every day when I hear a patient tell me that because of your treatment, I can now go back to work mm. or I now get along better with my family or I can now go back to college and finish my degree. That's what makes my day. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, that is why we do what we do to help people, right? We just mm -hmm. want to help them improve their lives every day. So I a, love being, a being is as valuable as he can serve and help others. Absolutely, 100%. Well, thank you, Dr. Biamonte. This has been very informative, and I look forward to talking to you again. Okay, you got it. What would it feel like to have virtually every supplement known to man at your fingertips? And what if you only had to drink water to get it in? I firmly believe in something called frequency. It's what you feel when you touch a rock that's warmed by the sun. That warmth is frequency. It's how your text message gets to your friend's phone thousands of miles away. It travels on frequency. It's lightning. When the lightning hits the earth, it adds electrons to the earth, and that's how we ground. It's wind. It's brainwaves. It's microwaves. Everything has frequency. And now you can write frequencies into your water since water holds frequencies. So imagine if each supplement has its own frequency and you write that into water, you can literally have any supplement, any peptide, any bioidentical hormone in your water. Listen to a podcast I did with a guy named Anton Federenko, a leading expert on frequency, and then visit my link in the show notes to Infopathy or Infoceuticals, which is a way to infuse your water with the frequency of any substance or supplement that you want. Like I said, even peptides without ever spending a penny on them. Check out the show notes for a link to Infopathy and a special discount code just for my listeners. trouble sleeping? Gut issues? Do you know your thyroid is off but your doctor won't do anything about it? Symptoms don't lie. If you feel like you don't feel good, then something is off. Listen to that inner knowing and reach out. That's what I'm here for, to help guide you towards what's going on at the root of your issues and get them resolved. Bring back your vitality, your energy, your happiness, and get that body you've always wanted with nutrition and lifestyle therapy. I approach it from a very bio-individual way, and each consult is unique to you, where I get to know you and what your body needs. Rates are affordable with different options depending on what you need and what you can afford. No two people are alike and none of their lifestyles are alike. So I don't approach any consultation the same as another. You are as unique as your fingerprint. So let's get to the bottom of what your body needs and get you looking and feeling as awesome as I know you are. To get started with a free 15-minute discovery call, email me at getfitwithjodel at gmail.com. That's G-E-T-F-I-T with Jodell, J-O-D-E-L-L-E at gmail.com. Well, it's not raindrops on roses, but these are a few of my favorite things that I always notice a difference in my health when I stick to these healthy habits. So number one is watching the sunrise or some sort of red light exposure every single day. Number two is grounding and earthing daily. And sometimes I combine watching the sunrise while swimming in my local lake. First thing in the morning as the sun comes up, I'm grounded. I'm earthed right into this natural body of water. 
Number three is C60. I've been using a supplement called C60 Purple Power for over three years now with great results. I don't intend to stop. I use it for a variety of reasons. And number four, as most of you know, I am a professional paddleboard athlete. So paddleboarding is always part of my weekly regimen of keeping my mind fresh, getting my vitamin P, and keeping my body in a really great healthy state with lots of active relaxation and that form of movement that uses up your entire body. Now I'm going to have a link to a few of the things that make these habits more efficient, more affordable, and effective for me in the show notes of this podcast that I personally use and recommend daily to my clients. The first one is going to be, if you can't get some sort of sunlight exposure, then consider a red light device which I love sauna space and I'm going to have a link where you get a 5% discount in saunaspace.com in the show notes here. So check that out. Also, if you need to get grounded, but you're working at a computer all day in an office on the fourth floor, I get it. Let's get a grounding mat underneath your feet. So while you're getting all that EMF exposure, it's actually just getting right out of your body and you're getting grounded throughout the day. So I'm going to have a link to ultimate longevity where you can get a simple universal mat to put right underneath your feet. And I'm going to have a link to C60 Purple Power where you can save 10% on this supplement that can be used from anything to more energy, to better hair and skin, to also helping with blisters and bruises and scrapes and even zits. Yes, you can use it even as mouthwash. So there's so much you can do with this. And for paddleboarding, I'm going to recommend Glide SUP, Glide SUP, stand-up paddleboards, because they come in inflatable as well as rigid hardboards, and they are by far the best boards I've used as of recent years to make sure that I'm getting a quality board that gets me out on the water and I don't have to worry about it having any issues. So that's GlideSUP.com, and you can get 10% off using my code that will be in the show notes. So I hope you get to use some of my favorite things, but also reach out and tell me about them. Tell me about what you like about these products too. Get fit with Jodell at gmail.com.